The other night, a friend of mine was playing with his band at a bar, and they began to cover Atlantic City by Bruce Springsteen. I immediately thought of my dad, and when I got home, started writing this piece that I almost scrapped when I read it back in the morning. But I decided to give it a chance. There's this weird inclination in people from New Jersey to love Bruce Springsteen, but I don't really have that, and I don't think my dad does either. But I do love that song, and I know that he does too. I sent him a video of the performance. He sent back... Well, they blew up the chicken man in Philly last night. Great song. That is the first line of the song, and he taught me to recognize it by those words, describing the mob hit on Philip Testa of the Scarfo family as he was taken out by a nail bomb in South Philadelphia in 1981. My dad once, who knows when, maybe sitting at the decrepit desktop Dell in our old family room, skimming through a library of music pirated from Bear Share, told me the story of that opening line. It stuck with me as many things my dad tells me do. Atlantic City is where we're from, where he worked for most of his life, and where he and my mother met. I learned to have a quiet but always burning love for my home, the South Jersey coast, and so, as my friend began to sing about the demise of the chicken man, I relished in the sentiment of the song, a cynical love letter to that dying, unappealing skeleton of a city. When I was a child, my father played me a lot of music. He made the White Album my favorite Beatles album by the age of eight. He taught me what a one-hit wonder was, and he always pointed out lines he found poignant or notable. He's always shared media that he loves, mostly music and movies. Sometimes he sends me emails late at night, a scene from Mean Streets with a hundred-word diatribe on the acting choices made by a young Robert De Niro. I get that from him, the proclivity to expound on granular bits of culture and seek out an audience for it. It's the reason whenever I watch Harry Potter with my friends, I have to either bite my tongue or know that I will probably alienate them by dishing out way too many unwanted details. It's why I felt compelled to write and record a podcast piece about the musical mystery of chess. I learned from him how to ruminate and then share your findings with whoever will listen, whether they're interested or not. And that's how we interact most of the time, he and I. We are always doomed to speak in this cerebral mutual language, always confirming to the other that we're the storytellers, the thinkers in the family, feeding a foolish need we both have to be the intellectual. There's so much of my dad in me. He taught me to value art, to watch a movie and stare at it critically, to understand that a story can be so much more than simply good or bad. He taught me that nostalgia is a friend that will archive your life in a soft, warm light. He taught me to have a sharp tongue and quick wit, to plan a good joke in your brain before you say it. One of my favorite things that he does that I often call him out on is physically leaving a room to silently write a joke and returning to deliver it as if it was off the cuff. I've come to think that one of the reasons I turned out so much more like him than my mom is because for the first few years of my life, my mother worked during the day and he worked nights. I spent more alone time with him as a baby than either of my sisters, and I have a feeling a lot of that formed me in whatever the way those years form you. When he spent a day making a video spoof of The Godfather starring me and himself, something about the appreciation and the creativity and humor and dedication to stupid ideas sank into my skin. I don't claim to know much about the dichotomy of nature versus nurture. I don't know why I'm more my father's daughter than my mother's, but I'm not an exact copy. In fact, there's a lot of nature, the environment that I grew into, the kinds of environments I seek out as I get older, that impacted my formation and set me apart from my parents at a certain point. My father once said something to me that stuck in my head and rings out every so often, whenever I'm reminded of the ideological divide we're presupposed to. I had to have been in fifth or sixth grade, no older than 11. He had picked me up from middle school and drove me over to the elementary school to retrieve my younger sister. 
He listened to talk radio constantly, something the appeal of which mystified me until I developed a podcast addiction and listened to nearly ten years' worth of This American Life within three college semesters. We waited in the car for the time to tick by until it was close enough to dismissal to get out and wait. I can't remember what was being said over the radio, some political commentary or news story that left his brow in a hard line, seeming to become what he saw as a teachable moment. He said, Conservatives think with their brains. Liberals think with their hearts. You never want to be like that. Always think with your brain instead of your heart. I nodded. I internalized. I understood what he meant. He was my father, and he knew what he was talking about. A few years passed. I found myself consistently thinking with my heart. I was stupid, frivolous. I was what he warned me not to be. That's okay. I was young. I would change as I grew. I would learn to use my brain. The words echoed in my mind every so often. They started to sound off. I started to wonder, what is so bad about thinking with your heart? Why does that make you stupid? Thinking with your heart, if that is to be separated from thinking with your brain, is what allows you to retain humanity. It's what allows you to look out from yourself and see other people and think of them as like you rather than something else. Your heart is really just part of your brain, and if you choose not to ignore it, you might see the world blossom into something bigger and more mystifying and more remarkable than you ever saw before. Somewhere along the road, I realized he was wrong. From my perspective, that I was developing from what I've learned and what I've experienced, he was wrong. It's a difficult thing to grapple with when you begin to see your parents as fallible humans who can have stilted perspectives and make mistakes just like you. The definition between your heart and your brain, I suppose, is at your own whim, but I don't understand the desire or reason to squash the voice of one in favor of the other. Surely they work better together. I admire my father so much. He works harder than I ever have. He gives everything he has to his job to ensure that our family and our family's company keeps their heads above water. He's brilliant, an artist when he gives himself the time to be, a writer whenever a thought carries more weight than he can keep inside. He worries fiercely for his children's success and their safety. I just wonder if he realizes that he thinks with his heart all the time. When I was a teenager, he would always approach my open bedroom door late at night with a story to tell. A story of his life before me, a story of friends and tomfoolery, a story of growing up, of coming of age, of being the age that I was, reflecting from where he stood now. Not a story I always wanted to hear, but one that he needed to unload. That weight doesn't come off your brain. That's a weight that rests on your heart. He has an immense heart, a quiet, smoldering soul that he limits sometimes, at least as I see it, because of a commitment to the idea of being a man, a father with few external weaknesses, a rock. I wonder if he knows that it's not a weakness to let your heart take over. I wonder if he knows that that's what keeps one decent. If we're to keep talking about the brain and the heart as these two separate entities, it probably makes more sense to understand them as the voice of logic and the voice of compassion. When you listen to your heart, it tells you to love and to understand. Your brain tells you to live and to thrive. Your heart tempers that with messages of live well and true, thrive for the sake of helping others to thrive. It's not very fair to take one thing he said 10 years ago and hold him to it so firmly. He probably doesn't even remember saying it. He might not even quite agree with himself anymore, I don't know. I don't mean to put him on trial here. 
It's just that sometimes a thing that was said to you can have such a profound influence that it almost becomes a moment outside of time, a moment of impact that has nothing to do with what came before and what came after. Whether it had the desired effect or not, that thing he said all those years ago did teach me something. I wonder if he realizes that he taught me it's possible to think with your heart. I wonder if he realizes that he did this by example.